0: Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and the final part of our episode with Colin Sheehan. If you've missed either of the earlier parts, check them out in your podcast feed. Without further ado, here's the final part of our podcast with Yale golf coach Colin Sheehan.
1: The fried egg requires a different technique. What you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green. Here's the thing,
0: playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a
1: greenside bunker. You need to be aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a, a fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. It's not to be feared though, it's actually a pretty easy shot to hit.
0: You're, you're one of the three founders of the Outpost Club. You mentioned it just uh, briefly about trips to, to the UK. Um, you guys started in 2010 and the whole kind of baseline idea is, you know, a country club without a course, you know, a home course.
1: Andy, you're much too smart to call it that. It's a well, golf society. It's Come a golf society. Well,
0: you know, I'm trying it's to. A, it's,
1: I'm try- called, it's called it's otherwise known as a golf society. No, a, I'm,
0: so, a, I'm, I'm allowing you to present it in a lovely way. I'm just so I'm just giving them the layman's description.
1: It is worth a brief prehistory because <laughs> it's kind of cool. And in 2000, and I got I, I went to Yale with Will Smith. Uh, he was a year behind me. We became fast friends. I used to sneak him out on the Yale golf course, you know, try to sneak pat, try to avoid the $14, uh, you know, student rate at t- the time.
0: He told me that you would tell them that you were a, a potential, that he was a potential recruit.
1: But no, I'd say he'd be, uh, he's trying out. he <laughs> top it off the first tee. I'd be like, oh, this isn't going <laughs> to so we both fell in love with architecture and the you know, golf course as undergraduates. And then we followed it. You know, he, he actually went to travel and leisure golf. We both agree. We both were, you know, we were both following golf pursuits. It wasn't, there's no, you know, they don't come to, they don't recruit on campus, you know, the banks and the, the banks come and recruit and the, and the consulting agencies and the consulting firms come to campus, but if you want to, sort of cut a path in golf. You're on your own. And he and I were doing that out of college. And uh he was out working at the prairie club in Valentine, in Cherry County in Valentine, Nebraska, in two thousand and eight or nine. Two thousand and eight. And they met someone who had land that w- was ideal for a golf in the area. And it was on it had elevation, undulation. It was in the sand hills and it had this beautiful pond on it. It had a chance to be a new kind of Sandhills course because it was going to have water. It wasn't going to come into play, but it it, it had a sense of, you weren't just lost in the dunes. It really had a special site, easily a top 10 potential course in America. And we, and it was like, I can't remember, it was like $400 an acre. And it was seven hours from, it was five hours from the Denver airport by car. And we had this ambitious idea to create the Outpost Club and it was going to be for 20 and 30-somethings, we were going to build it on the cheap. We were going to have 1,000 members. We we're going to pay $6,000 to join. Dues are going to be $1,200 family-style meals, real sort of bunkhouse kind of campground accommodations. It was going to be this new type of club. And we spent a lot of time. We put together a beautiful deck, spent a lot of work on it. And I can't believe that we, ha- we actually thought we were going to try to go and raise – like six million dollars in spring of two thousand and nine, when the credit markets were melting, the economy was in, in, a tear. The there was a recession, and we were going around New York trying to pitch people on a golf course five hours from Denver, and and the more we and then when it became apparent that wasn't going to happen, well one one of the ideas though was is that we were going to. Uh, get members by going all around the country cuz you know from the moment you sort of broke ground to when you put a in the ground it was like 3 years we were going to have events all around the country in all the major markets and have member have have outings and and try to recruit members and sort of the more we talked about that sort of the advice we were getting and sort of where it was becoming obvious is um why not take advantage of the fact that we're on the tail end of a 30-year build cycle with all the supply, and that participation is way down, and that it had everything had been sort of masked by a housing bubble, and that there's all this inventory everywhere rotting, and that America was ready for sort of the first of its kind of, a, of an influence, a British influence of having unaccompanied visitor play. And, and and American golf needed it. It wasn't ready for it because clubs still have a hangup about who's actually coming. And we sort of pivoted in this idea of like, we were going to take it. We were going to have a golf society with events and access to all these great architecturally significant courses that would be willing to have visitors come and um, play their course at, at, at times when tea was available and play quickly. And there was just nothing wrong with golfers coming and and, and enjoying a course and playing, walking, taking caddies and, and being grateful for the opportunity. And, and that's kind of where it, it, it kind of turned around. And we, Will and I had already started the punch bowl in 2007. It was this alternate shot event at Yale. It was supposed to be a 36 hole event. And it was to celebrate the end of the year. That was celebration of the end of the season Um, to play with friends, to play alternate shots, staple for big carvery lunch, you know, real throwback kind of British event. Um, The trophy is the punch bowl. It's, it's a nice Prosecco and uh, some orange and cranberry juices and real, real stylish thing. And And mostly to also show off, showcase Yale at that perfect week of the year in late October, when the turf is just absolutely flying and, and, and every little nuanced break in the greens is coming out and just, and, you know, it was this, it, we, we had success with it. We, it was 14 people and then twenty six and then 30 and 32. And this past year it was a hundred. And I think we discovered that having, um, having events and, and having sort of an unaccompanied sort of guest policy to a lot of private clubs for people that shared a love of the game was a really, was a really good sort of, you know, a, you know, evolution of American golf. And so that's, that's how we felt about it. We always felt like we we're just, you know, encouraging people to treat themselves to real special occasion golf and really function like a, like a, an American version of a of a, of a, of a, of a British golfing society with a captain and, and a real sort of respect for the history and traditions of the game. We're, I mean, we're just a bunch of daft golfers and we have our own tartan and and tweed. And it's, it's a really cool thing. It's, there's a a real sort of, um, you know, there's a lot of member support for the, for this endeavor and people feel really good about it. I'm really proud to be part of it with Will and Quentin. And we have, honestly, it's the most ambitious event calendar in the, 500 year history of the game we put on like 75 events a year 15 internationals like insane trips like to be a member of the outpost club is to get an invitation every day to an event you can't go to <laughs> it's uh
0: it's it's pretty crazy i mean it's i think what you've tapped into is is people like spending time with other people that share the same passion you know and and it's all golf junkies that are you know, just wanting to experience playing some of the best courses in the world together.
1: It's awesome. It's a community. It's you know, golf society. It's like there's there, there's a thousand of them in the UK. Mm-hmm. There should be there should be three thousand in the United States.
0: So, uh, what what do you think about American golf and and it
1: compared to say golf in the UK? We're, it's obvious we're the most in, we're so indulgent. If our golf is a metaphor for our behavior, then we are we, we're guilty. Over maintained turf, too fast. One, you know, David Faye said on the air at Fox. It didn't get any press. He agreed that the turf is too tight. We've our standards of gre- expectations for greens are just unrealistic. It's insane we're asking for perfection all the time. It's, it's, it's at a cost. It's enough. The fairways don't have to be so tight shots. Don't have, what are we doing? The cost per cost, cost per square yard or meter, it can get out of hand. One other thing that no one has ever proposed. I I wish in America we were capable of getting beyond the con, able to adopt the, the British concept of the artisan club where people pitch in like for their time and get sort of discounted golf and they work on the courses and they seed places. You can have like a volunteer sort of aspect to a lot of courses, you know?
0: I, I was thinking about that one time. It's like, you know, if, if 20 members just went out and did some work, they could probably make a lot of places a lot better.
1: You know? Sure. Pitch marks. Just go seed stuff. Like, just pick the stuff that needs to get done anyway. That's a fascinating concept. I know we're not the class, of society but I, I wish there was a way that we could have more junior golfers, maybe doing a little bit of a, of a, you know, it's a works project. You you go out and you work on the course and you rake the traps and then you get you get some money and you play the course. And I, I'm really one of the saddest trends in American golf is is that for 100 years there was a first tee, there were first tee programs everywhere. They were called caddy yards. I personally benefited from the from having caddied at the Country Club of Fairfield, nineteen like eighty nine to ninety six or something, and it was fascinating. I can't for all those virtues of first the first tee, you know. Some of those are pretty offensive campaigns. There, there was a sort of patronizing streak to some of the first tee, you know, sort of presentations and and what's more important than maybe some kids playing not an unsustainable introduction to golf how about them experiencing the a workforce opportunity an internship opportunity of caddying and and carrying following golf and and, and, and interacting with adults and 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 that benefit is incredible for teenagers middle school kids to show up and be on time and take pride in and get and learn and get good at their craft and be incentivized. And that to me, I, I wish there was a way we could tomorrow, 500 courses could have a middle school, high school caddy program. Like everything that only good things happen in those, in those programs for kids, only like op- opportunities open up. Like I'm convinced of it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I grew up caddy in two, which, uh, you know, grew up caddy and a good country club in Chicago and like I think that's part of the reason I like golf architecture so much too is because I started I grew up walking around a golf course that didn't stink you know I grew up carrying bags for members like it helped me learn how to conversate with different types of people and read people and understand them you know when i when I got out of out of college, I started doing sales jobs, and I understood how to talk to people and and what people want out of you. You know, that's like the biggest thing. I think like the greatest caddies are able to in one hole know like without asking the guy they're caddying for, like is this a guy that I should read their putt for him or not? You know, that's like the human skills that you develop as a caddy. It's just just understanding people.
1: It's unbelievable the opportunity. Like you're you're outdoors, you're walking, you're watching the game. It's a, it's the most sustainable introduction to golf is caddying. So while you're sort of watching how to do it, you're getting paid. You're watching people gambling. You're learning how how the different clubs are used. You're watching everything you could possibly learn. You're watching it in the course of ten twenty rounds. You're making money. You're getting you're, exercise. You're learning the yeah. Un, I I have so many. Ex- By the way, I caddied. I cadied at the Country Club of Fairfield, uh, mostly Seth Raynor. Uh, about as good as a a course can get butchered. It got butchered, and it was. It's still some because it's seaside, and it still works. It's fabulous. I I spent years of my life at that place. That that it was. So charming, par 70, 7, 6,300 yards. I saw Rayner kind of at this I was first introduced to Rayner as a eighth grader caddying at Fairfield, and I couldn't believe the fact that they would let you if you caddied on the weekend and made money, that they let you play the course all day Monday. It was like it was this. I couldn't I couldn't believe that we could then play like 36 holes on Monday afternoon it was as great a trade as I've ever made. You know, I couldn't believe how pretty Fairfield was like it had a, it, it's not really a links, but it's, but it's got a, it's got this beautiful ridge line from these mansions on the Sasco Hill. And then it goes down to the Pequot Yacht Club and Harbor and sensational homes. And then it swings around past their beach club to the, to the Sasco beach and then Long Island sound. It's incredible. Easiest place to fall
0: in love with the game. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's the same way I did. It's like that. That it's. It. I don't know. It's crazy. I. I hear people talk about how you should get rid of caddy programs altogether because they don't want to pay for it. But it's like God. You know how much worse of the game, worse the game would be without caddies, especially um, like kid caddies. Like that's the best best summer job. I remember going back to college. Like I, I caddied in co- while I was in college too. I'd go back to college with just like a. Big stack of cash, you know, <laughs> and then I'd be, and then I'd run. I'd uh, of course spend it, be completely irresponsible with it, and and spend it all. But you know that 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 getting paid cash was something that's so awesome about a kid, you know, caddying. It's like you,
1: yeah, was... cash on the barrel. And it was fun to be a good caddy. It was fun to help your man. Like, what it was fun to be in the conversation for the shot. You know, the club when they took your. I got good enough quickly enough that they would They'd be like, what do you think? And I'd be like, you need a flight to six. You know, it's like kind of, it's awesome. It's, it's just interacting with adults, like looking people in the eye, like, you know, being able to sort of absolutely like, we cannot underestimate the value of communication and, and personal interaction. Job interviews, this, this type of being able to, being able to sort of t- turn back and, and r- return a of conversation that's important
0: um having gotten to know you it seems like one of your your other your the obviously biggest passions is the golf uh development and project side of the business what uh what else do you get what else do you have coming up in the future what are you working on
1: i i was thinking of a fictional essay about the dirt poor golf developer as like just metaphor and <laughs> I feel like I'm a, I'm a poor golf developer. <laughs> Got nothing. I think if, if you're going to have, like we mentioned earlier, if you're going to have an opportunity being maybe a do a couple of projects, maybe only do a few, but, but have them be really wonderful. And I, that's how I felt about the, my relationship with the first project that I was ever involved with, and it was Bayonne. I'm an apologist. I think along with Yale, Bayonne is, I'm a member of two of the most criminally underrated courses in North America. Will does, I think, I think Bayonne is so sensational. It's Yale by the sea. It is got loaded with blind shots, quirk. Like I challenge you, like I put it head to head. It has so many head to head wins against courses. Bayonne does. I got to go see it. Oh, it's unbelievable. I'm in a total apology. I'm in the tank and I love it. I love, I absolutely love that course. And I love taking Friends there, and it's seaside, and it's the views are sensational, and and it's on like next to like oil, you know, refinery tank, you know, containers, and like it's unbelievable. It's it's so it's so it's, there's moments that are so genuinely linksy that it's just it's better than so much in the northeast. And um and then after Bayonne, I was at Castle Stewart. I lived in Scotland. I'd that followed up with Mark Parson and. and I really had a chance to witness one of the great, another great course being made, like full complicated muck shift, like Gil and, you know, Mark and cl- collaborating and, and Jim Wagner shaping and doing this amazing stuff. And the, and in the incredible credible like location of the property and the vision was, it was, it was such an, such an incredible like project to witness, you know, I, I, I can't get over it. And so after that, I don't know. I one place I fell in love with Andy. Yeah. I I was was the Hooper Golf Course in the Watkins Tavern. I failed to raise the money. I would, but but I'm telling you, listen. I'm telling you, I spend. I just spent enough time. I can't. Res, I can't help myself. I can't resist. I have my 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 love of historic preservation. That that golf course, which Dope made a, in his gourmet choice. But a t- 1927 Wayne Stiles golf course, virtually untouched, still like Parth, like seven 7- three 3,033 yards, like Parth 35, like its clubhouse was the Alexander Watkins house from 1788 that became the Watkins tavern in 1795. It literally, the clubhouse was a tavern during George Washington's second term. It's incredible, and it's as close to the first tee in the ninth green as Marion. It's literally joined at the hip. The most beautiful, like first tee in 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 America, might be the first tee at Hooper of a reachable, four sixty seven par five downhill to the left from in front of a historic eighteenth century tavern. It's unbelievable. It's so. I still would love. I think to, as it still could use a, a little rescue. They're they're sort of working it out, but it w- it it was it has the chance to be one of the most exquisite golf properties anywhere. It was as if like the Myopia Hunt Club or or the Country Club had like a satellite nine hole location up there in the woods of New Hampshire. And not, everybody could go play Hooper too. It's, it's like tw- $10. twenty twenty bucks.
0: I think it's on my it's list of twenty nineteen stops. It's
1: amazing. It has its greens have so much tilt to them. They're flying. And they're and it's and it's a there's it's a it's a course that you could play between the ages of eight and a hundred. It is amazing. Hooper is amazing.
0: I think nine hole courses are so underrated. I think it's the right amount of golf.
1: I grew up on one. South Pine Creek Parth Public. Otherwise known as the par three, designed by like Jeff Cornish in the '60s, it was like a. I'm not that old. I'm I'm only 43, but I have like a. I have one of those uh, stories when things were cheap and when you had a town resident card in 1986 when you were 11. I think to play during the week might have been a dollar 35. <laughs> might have been like nine holes. That's.
0: I mean, my <laughs> my local course. It was just. It was an 18 hole kind of nothing golf course. Completely boring. But the junior the junior card, like for the whole summer, like I could play as much golf as I wanted for four hundred dollars. Yeah. Like I could go there every single day and play golf for four hundred dollars of the year. <laughs> you know, like that's that's a great deal. I could play as much as I wanted too.
1: This course this course is fascinating. Um it had Uh, it had a mix of of difficulty and the backups were always on the long holes, the fourth and fifth holes. I spent years of my life just waiting on tees at the nine hole par three course, just with friends in the shade at the bushes. There was a lot of seashells and uh, seagulls and, and a lot of marshy holes. It was was in like the surrounded by Phragmite and stuff. And the Nike site where in, you know, in high school, the kids went to, you know, drink beers in the parking lot, but it was, it was seaside, and it was, and there was a lot of downtime when it wasn't when it wasn't uh, super busy. But it was also a, th- it was a really good thing for ten year olds to play golf with people septuagenarians and octogenarians. It's really good for a ten year old kid to play with a seventy five year old person. It was, you don't act like a jackass. You, yeah. You, you 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 talk to them. You be. It's like a. Uh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful, and and we'd go there in the winter we played in the winter when it was just covered in just goose shit. And, and it was, there would be no pins and there would there wouldn't even be cups, but they'd run us off the place. I played so much seaside. We, we had a microclimate on the coast in Fairfield in Southport. It's not like it didn't have miserable winters and get snow, but like you'd have these temperate days in the winter. We would go out and suddenly be the, there'd be like some NFL playoffs. And we, earlier in the day, we'd been like hitting balls at the, at the par three, or like up at the Fairchild Wheeler, the public course that's on the border with Fairfield and Bridgeport. I love sneaking on winter golf. Is
0: do overrated, underrated? So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some topics at you.
1: I'm gonna, I'm, there, there might be. I'm just gonna if there's if there's a course that I just I'm, I'm, I can't be honest with you. I'm just gonna tell you that.
0: That's, <laughs> that's fine. We're gonna start. We're gonna start with a. We're gonna lob one at you.
1: Alternate shot. Oh come on. How there isn't like every club in America has at least three alternate shot events a year is a crime. It's the most. Te- it's the most. Te- I spend so much time overseas asking people to articulate why they play alternate shot. I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, Miss, you know, you old buffy at like yet another club that just does this. Like, I love it. Like, it could be anywhere, Pen, Penure, uh, yeah, Prestwick. Like, could any all all of those places in England. And I got so many different answers. I got a million different answers why they loved alternate shots so much. And but Archie Baird gave one good one. He said every you know, every shot comes with double the consequences, double the joy or double double the stakes, double the joy, double the agony. You know, I love I love the dynamic of alternate shot where player A um, you know hits a shot out of play and and player B does the best to to kind of advance it, and then player A has a chance to avenge it with a great wedge and then it's like player B converts the putt, closes it out. It's like such a team four. That is like such a sensational four. And then to, and then it, the, the pace of play aspect of it and the just the practicality of it. We're, we're like, we only have time for nine. How about we have only have time for alternate shot 18? Let's do that. Like, let's go and play. Um, like, let's have events where the round is two and a half hours, which is nine with like, with a hot dog. Or you played eighteen, play an alternate shot with people. Like how we don't have courses where we're just like until noon on weekday mornings, it's two balls only. That would be another revolution in America. Two ball only. Be like, that's the deal. Yeah. Till noon. You either you and your friend could play or you could four of you and you could fly and get get out of here. Go.
0: I know. Get to work. It's like one of the biggest problems. Like I, hey, like I I hate how you have to commit so much time all the time.
1: No one's got time for it. Yeah. It's uh, the so... idea that something that there was an era when Don Draper played his golf. He got, he, he worked all week and then he came home and he was gone before he even got up on Saturday and he played in the morning. And then he had three co- cocktails and played cards. And he came back and racked out on the sofa while the golf was on TV and then and showered and got dressed up for drinks and dinner. And, you know, that is ship has sailed. It is. Yeah. I don't know anybody who plays golf on the weekend. Nobody. It's,
0: yeah, yeah. It's uh. What about uh? What about driving ranges? Overrated? Underrated?
1: What kind? Like by the highway with netting, or like you know some beautiful like you know field with just like you know just some rope and some like scoops, you know, like wagons with full of balls that you eh. use, you know, metal eh. scoops.
0: Any any kind of driving range.
1: Listen, I, I I played so much golf in the UK, and you never need them, never used them, and never and it never hurt the round. You don't, you know, forget a range. Some, somewhere on the course you can practice. Totally overrated.
0: Yeah, way overrated. I,
1: although I although although we were trying to raise a, a lot of money to build a fabulous range at the Yale course, we're going to reroute the road as you come in so that we can expand it and build a you know four car garage of hitting bays. So in, in that regard, it's very underrated.
0: <laughs> it, it, it might be underrated. A good range is probably underrated for a college program. You know, yeah. if you're trying to build a, build a, build a college golf program. Yeah, I think driving range is important. I don't think for the but, regular but
1: the golfer. People, people that make a big deal about their range, I say, have you ever been to Cypress Point? It's it's like you're allowed to hit like four seven irons into the right rough. That's their range, and yet it's the like it's a you know it, it continues to be a religious experience. So all first time and every time visitors.
0: <laughs> it's uh yeah I I mean like that's a lot of the great golf courses don't have the worst ranges you know.
1: Quaker Ridge, Wingfoot,
0: Shore Acres, yeah, horrible range, yeah. Ch- Chicago Golfs is on where what used to be the polo field.
1: That's not bad though, is it? No, it's That's pretty good. Almost-
0: it's a pretty good, pretty good range. Last overrated, underrated. We'll go with uh, the the eighteenth hole. Eighteenth hole, like the everybody. I feel like everybody complains about eighteenth hole, eighteenth holes all the way all the time. Like our 18th holes overrated or underrated.
1: I'm going to begin this answer with the fact I want to talk about Yale's 18th hole, which is one of the more controversial holes ever, which I happen to think is one of the greatest holes on the course might be the best. One of the great holes in America. And I, it's a, it's in, it's a litmus test. It's an acid test for whether someone has an idea for golf as being adventurous and thrilling and strategic, but also, you know, wild versus people that want, you know, they want to be catered to. And I think that that hole, if you played a hundred, I am on record of defending it. I actually constantly arguing back to people that want to hate on it. Like those Ivy league coaches I mentioned earlier. And I think the hole is as Dynamic, are strategically of any whole i in America. I'm serious because it is there. It's got, if you play it 500 times, you don't ever play it the same way twice. It's, and, and, and yet there's still plenty of options and, and routes to the green and ways to make five. And, but it's, it's people really can't stand a, a par five. That is both, um, not a birdie hole and quote, more likely, more likely bogey than, than birdie. And as the 18th hole, when a par five gives you, basically it's a bogey par five to finish golfers hate it. So I, I get that, but I'm telling you, if you, if you were to ever do an, a real deal sort of dive on a hole, your one of your holes on should be on your list would be 18 at Yale because it is fair and it is playable. There is a way to hit two reasonable shots and have the ball chase all the way down to a hundred yards in the flat.
0: You know that uh, that article exists on the fried egg. It's been written.
1: Uh, I didn't. I think I saw that once. You're right.
0: Yeah. Now I, I'm going to make it better because I'm going to add a video to it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So people are going to be able to really see it. But that's but, to answer,
1: but to answer your question about over 18th holes. I do agree that a golf course has to be, a, in, in In some ways, I, I like those analogies to music and how it has to have a finish. Like it, it isn't, it doesn't over, it doesn't maybe weigh more than a, two other holes, but the idea, it shouldn't be a for sure. It, 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 and it shouldn't be a cliche either and be 475 and and like a, like a hole that, you know, everyone bogeys. Uh, but it can... As long as it works, but I, I think I actually we talked about eighteen holes and they matter. There's yeah. whole, they one. What what matters more, one or eight, eighteen or one? Hmm, that's a good question.
0: I uh, no, eighteen. I, <laughs> I don't know. I think I think one matters more.
1: It's an interesting concept. I understand what you're getting at.
0: That's I, true.
1: I'm I a think... big fan of one. I think one at Yale, when it's properly restored, by the way. What I like about first holes, I'm on record, is that I like them when they state the theme quickly. Yeah. An overture. I want it to be like, okay, here you go. You ready for this? This is a course with the following expectations, you
0: know? See, 18 to me, it's one of the things that's tough with 18 is like a lot of times just having to come back to a clubhouse. And and no song. If we if we want to talk about the songs, like there are very few songs that end, like absolutely going wild. Like I mean, the like, best part of songs is never the end. The best part of the song is in the middle of it. That's where I want all <laughs> the all the the crazy ass stuff happening
1: and around. I guess you're right. Yeah, but what if it's already happened and then it, it just turns around and well, that's, comes at you just which is like a turned up to 11.
0: Well, that's some songs are like that. That's okay, but for the most part they aren't like that. So like 18, I don't I think technology has such a problem with this too. Cuz like so I played with the that Hickory and Ballada and all of a sudden par 5s were like insanely hard. Like, and usually when I play, I expect to, like, be chipping or putting for eagles on par fives. And all of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, I got to hit really good shots in order to make a par on a par five. And that's, like, the thing with with golf is, like, it's funny. I was talking to my buddy Zach Blair, and he was like, when you play 18th at Cypress with a hickory, it all of a sudden makes way more sense. And that's like the most dogged 18th hole in the world.
1: Sure, that's a great hole. It's probably overgrown a little, but that yeah, that I've, I'm like that hole is a gem. It's it's not unlike Olympic. It's a little tricky hole. You've got you, What are you gonna do? That's where the hill is. That's where it comes back to the hill. It yeah. Be, that's how it goes. You got
0: to get back. You can't. You couldn't finish on the ocean. You got to get back to the clubhouse. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I don't know, 18th holes, overrated. <laughs> That's my 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 pick though. So, um, I'm yeah. not gonna. Argue with you. you you're not a man of social media. Nobody can find you there.
1: I don't have I I, I, I my I haven't sent a tweet. <laughs> I got to get better. I'm, a, I'm gonna have one of the freshmen run the Twitter. Um, I'm not on Instagram. I need to do this. I'm not on Facebook. I'm yeah. not on, I'm on, You're yeah. better
0: off for it. The people can yeah. find you by emailing you. You know that's a great concept. Yeah, yeah. It's like Beyond, I, I, I envy your life without people being able to instantly access you.
1: I've been thinking about this idea though. I've, so I'm into vinyl, as you know. I love to play music, and I I love I love every. I really love every kind of category. I'm trying to get. All the other dads in my neighborhood, we want to do a public arts project. We want to, I want to, ra- I want to get them to raise, I want to build like a Jamaican sound system with like wood, you know, wood speaker cabinets and just, and, and have it be able to just quickly load up on into a van or out of a van and just play music around like the East Rock, like New Hallville, like Westville neighborhoods and all, all around New Haven and just come and, and play events of any kind, like play music of any kind and, 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 and be available for, for sort of for free or for for hire and just oh that would be a you'd have to get on social media. I'd have to get on social media to do that. I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I think that there needs to be I talked with uh, Shane Bacon about this on uh, on a pod. There needs to be a music festival golf outing. It'd be great like find a golf course that routes really well where you could have like one or two stages and I, when you're on different parts of the course you hear different different music
1: well i di- i have i have always said i tried to I, I raised money from the new from the study hotel developer uh we were gonna i think the third the the bowl the natural bowl that is the downslope of the fairway and right off the clubhouse it's the perfect amphitheater for a music venue for an evening for like a for like a brass quintet or an orchestra or, or, a you know, a sound system or whatever it could be. It's, I'm telling you right there, you play a twilight round at Yale and then you come in and then they have a concert right there in the fairway where you, you know, like with blankets and stuff and hear music as the, as the sun sets. How good is that?
0: It'd be awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm on the record for saying, I want to move so I can play Yale every day. Nice.
1: We do and have a summer twilight concert series.
0: Yeah, this would be a be a cool event. What uh? What speaking of, what's your what's your favorite stretch of holes at Yale? Like, if you if you were gonna just pick out like one stretch, eight, nine, 10. Eight, nine, ten.
1: Eight's, eight's the best part. There's a tree that needs to be removed, and and I'm I regret having to say this, but you know we've the the grill has to the the best thing for the eighth and ninth holes is to remove the grill and relocated somewhere between the the 10 T and the range, just kind of in that area, service that kind of, while people are kind of like in that section. And the eighth green at Yale is 80 yards long. And I I think it's for the first 40 yards, it's a Redan. And for the next 40 yards, it's a reverse Redan. It's actually when they, when we eventually mow out the the final high left corner and the back, right and the front left, and there's going to be, it's, it's going to almost, there's going to be a, a, a big high left and a big back left, a big high back left and a big low back right. And it's, I don't know if they've ever built a double, like a, rev, a reversible, re, double reversible over dead or whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah, that green is absolutely nutty. Two of the craziest bunkers.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then. Then you'd have a so. beast barrette and then. You know, it's a shame that, I. you know, we, 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 we have the pin, the majority of the time is in the first half of it. It's pace of play. It's just getting people through. And the back is pretty steep and it's just hard. And everyone hits it. They hit in some horrendous places. And so the majority of the time it's in the front half, but like it's robbing the average visitor to Yale, like a really critical, like three wood, brassy, two wood, three wood, four wood, like hybrid sort of shot that a lot of that doesn't know that is already pretty rare on the golf course these days. And it's a shame because we really need to get the, all that turf improved because the dimensions of the full back of the ninth green are amazing. And there'll be, there will be flatter pins in the back left and it's, it should be there. It should be there way more than it currently is. And because it's, it's once it's hold, the holds, especially, especially once it hole's restored, that's one of the most incredible inland shots in golf. It's, it's right there with five at Pine Valley. it's, it's a, what name another Andy, you tell me your short list of, of great inland par threes in America. And the, within the first three, you're probably naming five at Pine Valley and nine at Yale.
0: Yeah. Sand Hills, uh, 17.
1: But that's come on. That's just a good hole. That's your average guard variety, just really good hole.
0: That one, that one, that's a hundred thirty-yard par three. I played it like four or five times, and I ended I up in that. the same place every time. Even I hit some just great shots. That's just allowing natural elements to just kill people.
1: That hole is beautiful. Right, your gar- that's a that's a gr- you're great. That's a great like kind of linksy par three hole. That there's a hundred of those, and
0: yeah, in there are. There, it is, it is. A, you're maybe unique. Is uh you could associate with that? I would say. Uh, I gotta think about that. You're putting me on the spot here. Yeah. Well, you know? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm. i supposed to be asking the questions. You know.
1: Did I ever tell you about the time I first time I ever interviewed a pro in my life? I was 22 years old, working for the Golfer Magazine, and I got to. I was assigned to go interview a 43-year-old Bernard Langer at the Rye Hilton. while he was there for the Westchester Classic. It's crazy. I'm living at home I'm in Southport and I had I you know used, I left early for traffic on the merit and I even in spite of leaving an extra sort of 30 40 minutes I was late. And I'm running to meet Bernard Langer patiently waiting for me in the lobby of the Rye Hilton. I can't believe it. I'm late to an interview with a German. Bernie. He's gracious anyway. He's cool. We sit down. I start the tape. I'm using one of those old-fashioned micro cassettes on a little little tape recorder. Just, and, and the interview begins, and I'm very interested in his sort of early days of the European tour. I wanted to hear about when it was just sort of like the panhandle era of the late 70s and early 80s when they'd go out and measure courses themselves with like the rolling wheel. Imagine that, a tour player like... Marking the yardage of a course that he's playing in some a European tour event, and he's it's going great, and then it's going well enough that I was like, I, I was debating whether to ask him if I was about it about his history of the Yips, and and it, I felt like it, it, it reached a point where it, we should, and and he starts to answer really, and, and he he gives us fabulously just smart and concise, you know, or smart answer. Of it. And he goes through, he spells the whole thing out and he's like, well, my first bout to the Yips was in 1979. And he lays it out and I'm like, I'm realizing like right around that time, like this has been about 15 minutes. And I looked down and the cassette had stopped and I, I had to stop Bernard Langer two thirds of the way through uh, his history of the Yips to flip the tape and Ask him started, to start started back started up. So, he could, so he could begin the end. An- he could give me the whole answer again. Oh my God. We did it. And then what was really cool about, about, you know, I was 19 years later. So he, he, he was tremendously, I was grateful. He was, he was tremendously, he was very gracious to me that day. Of course, like he could have, he could have, I was, he could have let me have it. 19 years later, he came. I'm, I'm his son is a, he's a sort of recruit eventually goes to Penn, but he, he, the son comes on a visit with, and he brings his family, he brings his mom, dad, and his brother or sister. And, uh, dad is Bernard Langer. It was really cool. We spent a couple hours walking around campus and I was able to thank him for the kindness. He extended to me 19, (laughs) almost 19 years earlier. It was really cool. (laughs) Full circle. Uh, (laughs) Um,
0: so, uh, we'll uh we're gonna wrap this up i uh might be might be a three-part podcast i don't know might have to just extend it out (laughs) so give the people
1: what they want
0: i know just just that's the beauty then we'll have to do we'll do another one when the when the time's right and just talk about something else you know maybe we'll do one uh all about uh, a project or something.
1: I want to do a, uh, I want to, I want to make some lifestyle contributions to your website. It's just, it's, it's, it's so one dimensionally or two dimensionally uh, PGA tour and just sort of nerdy architecture. You could, you need some other, t- you could kill on You're killing me. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't go through your website. I got to do, I, you got to have some more things about just, Aspects of style out there that are happening. You give it, give give those people some love, you know.
0: Hey, yeah, I'm, we're we're a little, well, we're a small team here at the Friday, <laughs> you know. Can't get, got to do what you do well, right? Do not want to go Tell into you. go into areas that you know wade into different areas until you're this ready? This is how
1: this is this is this is how sad a commentary it is on on uh, the value of sort of golf editorial is that in 1980. 1998, when I began at the Golfer working for a you know a crook, I was getting paid $300 a week. I would I would I would I would ex- consider that oh, I'd be great. I'd be grateful for that from the Friday for your to be your uh, as a weekly uh, to be your <laughs> style editor at this 20 nearly uh, 20 years later. <laughs> hey, so I
0: why you'd be getting paid the big bucks around here with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, all right well uh yeah you can follow, follow along with the with the yale go- golf team and uh colin colin will maybe get on twitter or, or instagram or something yeah. at some point he's got to get one of his players on it
1: yeah no no, no I'll, I'll, I'll be on it soon enough I'll, I'll capitulate you've been listening to the fried egg podcast we do the digging for you